You know, it's a blessing to have a worship team like ours. They work hard each week. Amen. Hey, Charlton. Charlton, come here for a second. You know, Pastor Mark's on vacation, uh, and Charlton is our backup worship leader. I just got to tell you how blessed we are to have him. Amen. Hey, I just want you to know this, man. We're blessed by you. His wife was on the keyboards this morning. We don't know where their kids are, running around somewhere, you know. He probably doesn't even know. But, uh, man, all the, all the work that you do for Christ is a blessing to us, and we're just so thankful for you, man. You. Yeah, yeah. Be blessed. Thanks. All right, we're getting into God's Word together. Um, you can open up your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6. Good luck with that assignment. Did you ever do those sword drills growing up as kids? First one to find it, stand up, say it, and then you get, a, you get a Tootsie Roll or something. It was always the kid with the Bible name who won that, like Micah, you know, or Isaiah. I could never find the book, but go ahead and find your way to 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, verse 8. The reason why we're going to 2 Kings is because we're going through the book of James, and James decides to mention the prophets today. He mentions them in general. And he says, we can learn something about faith from the prophet. So I decided to just pick a prophet and to go back and hear a story about a prophet so that we would all be encouraged by the story of this prophet. Amen? So it's going to be great. Second uh, Kings chapter 6. As you're getting there, let me remind you that the series we're in is called Faith in the Fire. Uh, what does faith look like when we go through trials? Um, God sometimes gives us commands, do's and don'ts. Sometimes he uh, actually gives us examples living, breathing human beings, people who show us what it means to walk by faith through the fire. So we're going to learn from Elisha today. Uh, you might <clears throat> have already picked up, I, I kind of lost my voice a little bit on Friday, so I'm talking uh, lower today. Uh, you're, you're lucky I'm not going to shout at anybody today like I usually do. So <laughs> that's a joke, I don't shout. You guys are a tough crowd this morning. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we went to Six Flags Great America on Friday and I go on all the rides, and I scream. So, so because of that, my voice is going. But uh, how many of you have been to Six Flags Great America? All right, have you been on the Whizzer? Yeah? All right, here's a picture of the Whizzer. As you know, this is not the most thrilling coaster in the park. In fact, it's more like the lazy river of roller coasters, if we're being honest. And uh, <laughs> what's funny is, as the kids were getting on the Whizzer, the person on the microphone said, Welcome to the Whizzer, where we will go upside down, not once, not twice, but zero times. <laughs> it's an easy ride. Uh, then I, for the first time, went on the roller coaster Goliath. How many of you have been on Goliath since they opened it up a few years ago? Wow. Here's a picture of the roller coaster Goliath. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. After I rode it, I found out that it holds three world records for the fastest wooden roller coaster, highest wooden roller coaster, and steepest wooden roller coaster. Well, it throws you off because you sit down on this ride and they just give you a little lap bar, okay? But you go upside down like three times and usually you have that shoulder harness to hold on to while you're screaming and you usually have a little lap bar. It's like the, you know, that little dragon roller coaster at the carnival that the kids go on? You feel like you're getting on that. And somehow they whip you upside down and you don't even have a shoulder harness. It's, it, when you're done with the ride, you feel like you just got spit out of a tornado. And uh, it's pretty amazing. Now, I use the two roller coasters because uh, trials will spin you around, whip you around, throw you around, and, and you don't even feel like you have a harness when a trial in your life comes. 
you have to learn what it means to be steadfast. You have to learn once the ride begins and your trial starts, you have to learn how to hold on to the Lord, okay? Now, if we're honest, we all want the less intense ride. When the trial comes, I want it to feel like the wizard, just, you know, this gentle decline, and then it's over before you know it. We don't want the Goliath trial, okay? Uh, but God will allow hardship and pain into our lives, and when we start getting tossed around, we have to remain steadfast. We can't quit. Uh, in James 5, verses 10 to 11, it says this, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, we're going to base the sermon on these verses today. We're going to come back to the person of Job uh, in several weeks. Um, but we're going to focus in on how he mentioned the prophets, their endurance, their steadfastness, the way that they responded to trial. And we're going to learn from Elisha today. Let's pray. Then we'll get into the book of Second Kings together. Father, thank you for the, the word of God. Thank you that you have revealed your truth and your nature to us, not only through commands sometimes inscribed on stone, uh, but also through people. You wrote your truth on the hearts of people living in this world. And we just ask that you would help us to see your ways today, Lord, more clearly and help us to learn from somebody who is steadfast and, and may we face our trials with greater faith because of it. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, are you there? Second Kings, if you're still finding it, I can give you another few minutes. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Now, where, you just turn back to 800 B.C., all right, 800 B.C. So uh, sometimes you, you get lost in the Bible chronology, but where we're at now is we are well after Adam and Eve, well beyond Noah, well beyond Moses. We are even past Joshua, the, the prophets, and then the first you know, great king, David, after the first lame king, Saul. Uh, so after David, there's all these series of kings, and we're right there after David. We're before when Daniel and the Israelites got kicked out of the land. So hopefully that gives you your bearings. Um, so it says in chapter 6, verse 8, Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God, that's Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him was told to him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent the horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night <clears throat> and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 
Okay, jot this down, number one, remain steadfast. Syria and Israel didn't get along. Sometimes they were allies, often they were enemies, and this enemy country, Syria, was at war with Israel. So the king made up his battle plans, and then when he sent out his best guys to the spot where they could find, you know, the greatest advantage, uh, then things would go wrong. And it got to the point where it was so bad, he said, which one of my servants is a spy for the king of Israel? And they're like, no, 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 it's not us. It's this guy, Elisha. He just knows everything you're planning. And he knows where you're going before you send the army there. Well, that's frustrating to a king trying to make battle plans, right? That this prophet miraculously has figured out all the plans before they actually happen. That's pretty impressive. Um, we, we learn just the extent of this rivalry in 1 Kings 20, 29, where it says the people of Israel struck down of the Syrians 100,000 foot soldiers in one day. They had massive battles between these two countries, 100,000 dead in a day, right? Which is massive for back then. Uh, in the words of Taylor Swift, they had bad blood, all right? They did not get along. And this king of Syria wanted to now pay Israel back for the defeats that they had suffered, right? So you could, you could just feel the tension going on here. We've got a map of Israel and Syria. So there you've got Israel right in the middle of the map. And this is today map. So there's Jordan, there's Syria. They still don't get along. Lebanon's up there next to them. But uh, the Syrians would send down into Israel. They would attack. And uh, wow, the prophet figured out the plans before they actually happened. That's pretty awesome that they were able to outmaneuver the Syrians because they didn't have radar back then, okay? They didn't have satellite imagery. They had eyeballs. That's it. They had eyeballs. And if they saw their eyeballs, then they could report back, you know? And yet Elisha was able to tell what was going on before it happened. <clears throat> Let's talk about what a prophet was. A prophet was God's spokesman. Prophets were also basically one of the three branches of government back in, in ancient Israel. There was the king, there was the priests, and then there was the prophets, all right? The king was, of course, the executive branch, right? Then the priests were kind of legislative. They made the moral rules and, you know, and, and helped to keep those things. And then the prophets were the enforcers. They showed up and they hollered at the kings and the priests and protected the people from abuse. The prophets were also the ones who protected the nation in some situations from foreign invasion uh, or armies, okay? So Elisha was a prophet. Now, up to this point, you might be saying, he's saying it wrong. His name is Elijah. Why does he keep saying Elisha? No, there were two different prophets, all right? <laughs> I don't have a speech impediment. Uh, but Elijah, <clears throat> pretty famous guy, when Jesus called for two people from the Old Testament to meet him on a mountain in the New Testament, who was there? Moses and Elijah. Wow. And Elijah was the guy who went and found Elisha and made him his understudy. All right. So Elisha's mentor was pretty amazing. And um, Elisha prayed that God would give him a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And God did. Elijah did twice as many miracles as Elijah, um, and, and so they were both titans of the faith. Some of Elisha's miracles included uh, he parted the Jordan River and walked through on dry ground. He healed the polluted water of an entire city. He predicted the future. 
He anointed kings in his, uh, even outside of Israel. And in the Old Testament, there were only three times people came back from the dead. That's it. Once was when Elijah raised the dead. Once was when Elisha raised the dead. All right? Pretty sweet company to be in. And the third person who came back from the dead was this random guy who somebody threw this guy into Elisha's grave and he hit Elisha's dead body and came back to life. So Elisha raised the dead when he was dead. Pretty amazing fellow, if you ask me. Now the crisis here is an army surrounded the city and their only objective was named Elisha. The whole army came, surrounded the city. It takes a big army to surround a city. The city was up on a hill. Uh, and uh, they surrounded the city, and they wanted him. He was their objective. So this would be the equivalent of that crazy, kooky neighbor who's convinced that black helicopters fly through the sky, uh, you know, and they're out to get him. And this is the equivalent of that actually happening to one of your neighbors. Like the military comes and the helicopters are there and they go in just to get him and take him. It's like black ops stuff. They're there at night and then when he wakes up, they're going to get him. All right. What would it feel like? i got a picture of a tank here. What would it feel like if that drove down your street and pulled into your driveway? Then those men got around your house and that's a bad day. Am I right? That's a bad day. Do we have another picture of a tank? Imagine that out your front window, pointing in. You think you've got problems? Elijah has problems. Now, some trials demand that you remain steadfast for a day. We'll find out that this trial lasted a day, okay? Elijah had the worst possible day of his life here. Sometimes the trial lasts a month or a year or many years. But however long it's going to last, you have to remain steadfast. You have to stand in your faith and you can't quit. You can't doubt. You can't run away. And his reaction shows us how we should react when it feels like a tank is pointing its barrel into our front living room, right? What does he say? He says this. He says, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. By faith, he says, I'm going to stand firm and confident. By faith, he shows that he is going to believe that God's going to display his greatness. Remain steadfast. Now, the servant of the Lord is standing there thinking, huh? I don't see any of our, we don't even have an army. What are you talking about? That there are more with us than, than there are with them. Well, let's read on. It says in verse 17, Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Wow. Write this down. Remain steadfast, and you will see the purposes of the Lord. You will see the purposes of the Lord. He says, show him, Lord, show him. And, and suddenly this guy, is, he says, Elisha's understudy. Now he looks around and he sees chariots of fire all over the hills. There's valleys, there's hills way off in the distance. And he sees the whole city surrounded. This is amazing. What a vision that would be. <clears throat> we understand here that these are angels. 
These are God sending angels ablaze in heavenly glory and all around this manifestation of the angels so that they could see it uh, was militant. It was an army. They were there to do battle with the army that came against Elisha. And once the servant of Elisha saw, then he was blown away just like Elisha was. You will see the purposes of the Lord. Now what happens, reading on, it says in verse 18, and when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. All right, now start noticing the contrast here. Uh, Elisha sees God's presence all around him. Elisha hears the king of Syria's plans from, from his bedroom. Elisha prays and then his servant's eyes are opened and he sees God's presence and power all around him. Now Elisha prays and the enemies of God, their eyes are closed so they do not see. See the contrast? They don't see God's presence or his power or his plan. It says in verse 19, And Elisha said to them, This is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. That's the capital city of the northern kingdom. As soon as they entered Samaria... Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. They were taken captive without a shot fired by this prophet. Elisha prayed that God would blind them, and this is like Jedi mind trick stuff. He, he could have prayed that they would physically become blind and then they would all of a sudden be like, oh, oh, oh. that's not what happened. He said, strike them with blindness and then he walked up and he's like, wrong city, follow me. And they did for 10 miles. Maybe, maybe Elisha along that 10 mile trip wondered if he needed to like re-up that prayer at some point. Are they going to start snapping out of it? Like is one of them all of a sudden going to scream, what's going on? What are all of you doing? Ten miles. They're not traveling fast. And then they walk into the capital city, and then he says, open their eyes. And then they're like, uh-oh. We all got captured by a scraggly old prophet. How did this happen? You will see the purposes of the Lord. Uh, we learn here about angels and how God, the many ways that God shows up in a time of crisis, all right? Um, God has an army, and he has angels beyond numbering. At any point, he could command all of them to go and humiliate all of his enemies. He could, he could turn all of his enemies mentally blind right now so that they are duped into doing exactly what he wants. He doesn't do that very often, but he could. And here we see that these angels that showed up were there to overpower an army that was bent on destroying God's messenger. And therefore, if they destroy God's messenger, they were trying to destroy the message and the authority of God. We learn here there's an unseen spiritual realm, and it spills over into our world, and it affects our lives on a daily basis. But we see that God is sending in that realm strong support. How does God help you in your trial? Well, he primarily helps you through his word. His word is not just intellectually helpful. It's not just emotionally, you know, comforting, like chicken soup for the soul. I read that and I'm just so at peace. It is spiritually 
powerful, living and active. And God's Word does something to you spiritually that can't be explained rationally and emotionally. Okay? It's God sending His power into your life. He also shows up through His Spirit. When you become a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, God the Spirit dwells within you. He is present in power inside of you. The Old Testament believers, most of them didn't get that. They, they didn't experience that blessing of God literally dwelling within them till death do us part. We have that blessing. In addition, God surrounds you with his church, and these are the hands and feet, the body of Christ. So how is God going to manifest his presence and his power when I'm in a trial? Look around. He's going to show up through fellow believers, all right? And one, one other thing that he does is he uses angels. Right now, there are angels all around you doing God's will. There's a spiritual realm. It's filled with beings who are serving the Lord. God has an army. And listen, your enemies don't know who they are messing with. God outnumbers your problems. He's bigger. He has more power. Your problems, your enemies have less. America loves angels. Uh, there's many movies that feature angels that, that came out in my generation. Did you ever see the movie City of Angels with Nicolas Cage? Nicolas Cage, one of the most non-emotive angels on the planet. It's just not an emotion. Get back to the action films. We need, you know. Did you ever see the movie Michael where John Travolta becomes an angel? You know, he's smoking cigarettes and he's dancing and it's just like, huh? I don't really understand what's happening here. That, that came out back in my day. You've probably seen It's a Wonderful Life, right? Have you seen, how many of you have seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life with Clarence? Yeah? Uh-huh. The angels are talking at the beginning, at the end of the movie. America loves angels. Did you ever see Angels in the Outfield? Did you see it? You go like this at the end, and then the team wins because angels love baseball. Uh-huh. All right, if you saw any of those movies, you need to repent because that's all nothing but heresy. Okay, I just baited you. None of that is true, okay? Nothing from, if you own the calendar with the baby angels wearing no clothes with their little wings, just throw it away, all right? The last thing you want in heaven is baby angels floating above you without diapers. I'm just telling you. <laughs> it's not what you want to see. It's not accurate to the Bible. So we love angels, but we're really confused about what to believe about angels. Uh, so what does the Bible actually say angels do? Well, in the New Testament, an angel rolled away the stone, right? So that the tomb of Christ could be shown to be empty. Angels announced the resurrection, strengthened Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, angels announced the birth of Christ. Um, angels sustained Jesus during the 40 days in the wilderness. Angels revealed parts of the Bible, like the book of Revelation. An angel led Peter out of the jail, opened the doors, kicked the shackles off. Uh, angels are pretty powerful, amazing beings, but they're servants. They're servants of God. Our attention is never meant to go on them. Our attention is meant to see what they do and know that God's the one who did it through them. So we're blown away by what God is doing through angels. We're not obsessed with or fixating on or talking to or trusting angels, okay? Uh, what did the angels do here in Elisha's trial? They confused the minds of hundreds, if not thousands of men, strong men, confused their minds so that they followed the man they wanted to kill to uh, the capital of their rival nation, and all of them got taken captive. 
pretty astonishing. That's what angels help to pull off in this story. So you might have the question then, well, how are angels actively involved in my life? Well, they're active in protecting you, protecting your loved ones in answer to prayer, uh, somehow strengthening you to win spiritual battles, um, and guiding your steps, uh, redirecting you away from danger. So we don't know all the specifics, but that's pretty much an overview of what angels do, what they don't do. You'll see the purposes of the Lord. The point is this, God wants you to see his presence and his power all around you. He likely won't actually let you see flaming chariots, right? So that's not the way he's going to show you that he's there and he's awesome. But he does want you to see that your problems are vastly outnumbered. However, you have to stand with him when you feel under attack or you won't see it. Whatever you're going through now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, I can't see what God's doing. I can't see it. I don't know where he's at. Listen, his fingerprints are all over it. He is surrounding you with love and protection. He's filling you with encouragement. He's prompting others to prop you up. He's all over it. You just can't see it yet. It's by faith that you have to trust that he's there. You have to wait. In John 13, 7, it says this. Jesus answered him. This is just before he would die and then come back to life. Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Maybe that's what Christ is saying to you right now. What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Time. Time is a test. Are you willing to give God time? Or will you bail during the wait? You will see the purposes of the Lord. This is serving a great purpose in your life. It's not wasted pain. But you have to remain steadfast. When I think back to the things in our church that we went through where we didn't see what God was doing until after, I think of how we got this building. We looked for two years for a building. You know, lots of dead ends, lots of things that didn't pan out. We didn't know. We didn't know. We didn't know. We couldn't see. And then, boom, out of nowhere, we find out this building is up for sale. And then very quickly, over the course of a few months, we, we buy it for a great price. And now we know. Now we can look back and see that he had a plan all along. When I think of our staff members, our pastors that God has sent us, we were praying, you know, for, uh, we are praying, me and Mark were on staff, we were praying for, like, somebody to come on and take our kids' ministry and, our, you know, our youth ministry, and we didn't know. We didn't know who he had for us. And then I run into this uh, guy from California at Harvest University and hold the door for him as he walks into the conference. And we start getting to know each other. And, you know, it turns out we had actually already talked because he was interested in the job that we were posting. And it was Pastor Brandon. And Mark and I took him out to Caribou Coffee and got to know him a little bit. Well, he packs up his whole family and moves from San Diego here. And now he's planted his own church in Rochester, New York. We didn't see at the time what he was doing. Now we see it. Now when we look back, it was not random. It was not unguided. It was not chaotic. It was well scripted by God. I think of Pastor Jeremy. He was in charge of the parking lot. You know, he's leading a small group. And, some, and uh, I remember I was sitting at a restaurant, uh, the Country House restaurant down the street. And Brandon was about to leave. And we were thinking, well, we need to hire somebody else because this is Brandon's last year. and Somebody's got to take youth and run with it. And uh, so... Here I am sitting with Jeremy, and, and I had not thought before this moment at this restaurant that he could be the guy, but it's like God slapped me, like, bam, 
And I was like, hmm, Jeremy could be the next pastor here. Sure enough, he went through the interview process and he was the guy. But we didn't know at the time, you know, that he was going to be the one. Uh, when I think of the missions priorities that God has assigned to us in Romania, we didn't know what was going on in Romania, but we went up to Elgin. There was this pastor from Romania. I didn't even know where Romania was on a map. And we take this guy named Christy out, and he had never had tacos before, so we figured that's a good idea. We take him out to, for tacos. He said, what is taco? We're like, yeah, you got to know the answer to that question before you go home, buddy. Took him out for tacos, got to know each other a little bit, <clears throat> brought him here for a little while, and now, you know, we've, we're in like a four-year partnership with this church, and uh, I've been over there three times. We've sent multiple teams over there. We didn't know God's plan, and, uh, and yet God had that whole thing laid out for us. So you won't see it right away, but you will see the purposes of the Lord. Patience proves your faith, and patience grows your faith. So be patient when you feel like you can't see what God is doing. The first point is, <clears throat> remain steadfast. The second point is, you will see the purposes of the Lord. Third, you can write this down, and you will experience God's compassion and mercy. God is good. <clears throat> he wants to bless you. He wants to grow you. He wants to rescue you. He wants to defend you. And you will see his mercy. We see his mercy on display here. Look at verse 21. It says in verse 21, as soon as the king of Israel saw them, this is a good day for the king. He just gets up, stretches out, puts his clothes on, walks outside, and the whole enemy army is captured in his capital city. Be a sweet day for any president of the United States, right? Bam! ISIS, right there, all of them. Captured in D.C., Somehow led there by some crazy, scraggly-looking, bearded prophet guy. Here you go. Gift from God. Great day to be the king. <laughs> and it goes on to say this. How does he react? He says in verse 21, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? Can I kill them? Can I kill them? Verse 22, Elisha answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you've taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. When they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master, and the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. I would love to be there when the army got back home. We're back. How'd it go? Where's Elisha? Well, we had a slight detour. What do you mean? Uh, we thought we were in the wrong city. So we ended up going to uh, Samaria. What? The capital? Yeah. Did you conquer it? No. Uh, we kind of went in there and all got captured. All of you. Yep. Every one of us. How? It was like the force. We don't even know. It, we all just kind of woke up in Samaria. And then what happened? They threw a party. There was food. They fed us. We did the cha-cha slide. I don't know. They were just at this big old party for us. And then they sent us home. Oh. Oh. So they stopped attacking Israel because of the kindness and mercy and compassion of God. We see God's compassion and mercy on display towards the prophet because Elisha should have been dead by morning. Right? That's how the story should have ended. 
we see what happens when you mess with God's prophet and God shows mercy to that prophet. A whole army was caught up in some angel spell. Couldn't even touch him. The funeral should have been on Wednesday. The viewing should have been on Tuesday. He should have been in the ground. But that's not the way it ended. You know, there are many people in this room who either them or loved ones have stories where they shouldn't even be alive right now. They shouldn't even be here anymore. But God did something miraculous. And the ending of the story got changed. That's what happened here. He was merciful toward the prophet Elisha. He was also merciful toward Israel. Israel should have been defeated. They should have lost their prophet. They should have lost the ability to figure out tracking where the Syrian army was going, right? I mean, overall, there shouldn't even be an Israel today. Time and again, Israel should have been overthrown. But God keeps showing compassion to them. The king, because of this, was supposed to see the glorious power of the Lord. He was supposed to see, wow, if God can capture any army any time, how I should trust him. But this was an evil king. He didn't see what God was doing. God was merciful and compassionate toward the king. He was also merciful toward Syria, the enemy. Really? Them? They should have been killed. God displays his patience with evil nations, driving them to repentance. Yeah, there are the stories. There are the stories when God orders a conquest and it's time for these evil nations to be wiped off the face of the earth. That time comes, but God is patient. And never forget that there are times when he also captures entire armies, gives them a party, and sends them home to rethink their lives. That's our God. So what do we learn from this? Well, when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel outmatched, when we don't know how we're going to make it through the day or the month or the year, when we feel out of our league, we have to look around because the one who is standing with us is greater than any trial we're facing. I don't know what it is that feels bigger than God to you right now, but it could be a conflict. It could be you feel like your marriage is just falling apart, right? Too big for God to handle, false. It could be your finances, and you're like, this is never going to work. Never going to work on pay. We're never going to get out of this mess. Too big for God to handle, false. It could be the string of health crisis that you faced and what the doctor keeps saying, and there's just no way we're going to... Too big for God. Too big for God. False. False. Ask God to write an unbelievable ending to the story, something that only he could do. But it will be a longer story. Sometimes we pray for God to write a story and we want it to be a short story, like a caption. Can you just write a caption, Lord, a really awesome caption that, that just fixes everything? Make it short and brief and concise. Just maybe, maybe a little like a run-on sentence. It could be a little longer but definitely not a paragraph and certainly not a chapter and for sure not a book. I just want it to be short and done. God does better than that. Remember, when you're waiting, the waiting is more about who you're becoming in the process, okay? So if you're waiting, like, God's going to do it. God's going to do it. He's going to do He's doing it here already. This is what the project, okay? The thing at the end, yeah, that's important. But you becoming faithful and stronger with greater endurance is the primary goal. Maybe that you've been waiting months. Maybe you've been waiting years. The ending is going to be awesome. Let me give you some verses as we close here 
that reassure you that you will see his purposes soon. Psalm 69, 32 says, when the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. John 16, 16, Jesus said, a little while and you will no longer see me. And again a little while and you will see me. Psalm 27, 13 to 14 says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Job 19, 25 to 27 says this, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed and in my flesh, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. James says this, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Hey, let's take all that faith and let's apply it to whatever you're going through in prayer together right now. Let's pray.